Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to you and good morning to everyone who's watching by live stream. What a great privilege and a great honor to share the words of God with you all this morning. There's nothing like the words of God when we're hurting. We need the words of God every day. We need them to fill our hearts, fill our lives, guide us, direct us, encourage us, glorify us, so that we might glorify the Lord, but especially in those times when we are hurting. The words of God are like the balm that heals. My friend Mr. Tozer says the fellowship of God is delightful beyond all telling. He communes with his redeemed ones in an easy, uninhibited fellowship that is restful and healing to the soul. He is not sensitive or selfish, nor temperamental. What he is today, we shall find him tomorrow, and the next day, and the next year. He is not hard to please, though he may be hard to satisfy. He expects us only, he expects of us only what he has himself first supplied. He is quick to mark every simple effort to please him. He loves us for ourselves and values our love more than galaxies of new created worlds. Do you know that Jesus values your love? We get so wrapped up in us. Oh God, do you love me? To which he replies, of course, and I've proved it. But do you know that he values your love? Do you love him? Psalm chapter 42, there's a phrase in verse 5 and verse 11. It's just 11 verses. I'd like to read it to you. There's a phrase that I'll repeat. For emphasis. Psalm 42 says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude, and I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted? in me. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee. From the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites, from the hill of Mizar, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Verse 5 said, For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And he ends the psalm with, For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Father, thank you so very much for your countenance. Your word says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. You are the God, the God of the Bible that we address today, that we talk about today, that we share today. The God of the Holy Scriptures, the God of creation. O Father, give us eyes of faith to see, to look upon your wonderful, beautiful countenance. Lord Jesus, give us ears of faith to hear your voice, to hear you calling. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us hearts of faith. We thank you for bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and I pray today that you would bear witness with our spirits and quicken us through thy word. It is you and only you who heals. What a marvelous privilege we have to come before you with singing, to come before you with praise. May we not be cast out. Thank you for the strength of your countenance. Thank you for being the strength of our countenance. And may we glorify you today. I pray that you would bless greatly and manifest yourself in very special ways to our families who are hurting today. May your love be shed abroad in their hearts. And may they know you in a very special way. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. <clears throat> That's going to be our text for today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. During Grandma Walter's service yesterday, Pastor Stephen found an inscription that she had written on the presentation page of her Bible. And we got there fairly early, and we were sitting in the auditorium, and I just, I was mesmerized by her picture and the inscription that he transposed onto that picture from her, from the presentation page of her Bible. It said, Jesus is mine, and I am his, in her handwriting. Jesus is mine, and I am his. And it, it, just, it, it just stunned me because that's what we were going to talk about this morning in, in different ways, okay? Isn't that Christianity? Isn't that what Christianity is? 
Jesus is mine, and I am his. Have you done well to come to Jesus? Is, is Jesus yours? Jesus is mine, and when we can say, Jesus is mine, we lay hold of Jesus, and that makes us fit for heaven. And what a wonderful, glorious truth that is, that Jesus has come to die for me, to die for my sins, to save me from the penalty of my sins, which is eternity in hell, in order that I might be saved, that I might be delivered, that I might be reconciled to God in a way that allows me to lay hold of Jesus and spend eternity with him in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever with no time outs. Have you laid hold of him? Is Jesus yours? And then, if Jesus is yours, doing well to have received him and received his Holy Spirit. Do you belong to Jesus? Jesus is mine and I am his. Can you say with all confidence today that I belong to Jesus? I am his. My friend Mr. Tozer, he puts it this way, many have done well to receive the gift. You've received the gift, have you made the shift? And I am his. Are you his? Do you belong to him? Let's read this passage together. We're going to focus on Romans 12, 1 and 2, but let's read 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Jesus is mine and I am his. Now, we have been attempting to talk about the life skill of paristemi. The life skill of paristemi. That is the English transliteration of the Greek word to present. Paris te me, paris te me, the life skill of paris te me. And specifically, today we're going to do our best to talk about practicing the practice of presenting. It means to present, it means to yield. In Romans chapter 6, you see the word yield, that's the same word. Present, yield, to stand by or come alongside, or to show yourself to. Now we know what a life skill is, right? If you are going to learn to play the cello, there are a couple of things you need to learn to play the cello as a life skill, right? First of all, you need some knowledge about that instrument. You need to know how it's put together. You need to know how it works. It's got four strings and each string makes a different tone and it's in a, a wide body of wood, and it's got this thing that comes out the bottom of it that adjusts the height up and down, okay? And you need to know how it works. Uh, you need to know that there's this thing called a bow, and there's hair on that bow, and you put a little rosin, pine rosin on that bow, and you, you, you pull that bow across those strings, and it makes a sound, right? You need to know some things about that instrument and how it works. Secondly, we need somebody to demonstrate it for us. To learn a life skill, it's very helpful to be able to watch other people demonstrate that skill. So if you're learning to play the cello, you watch people who are very proficient at playing the cello so you can imitate them, right? So knowledge, demonstration, and then what? Practice, 
practice, practice, and practice some more in order to learn the skill. Now, in the very beginning, our practice may not sound very good, right? Okay, in fact, uh, you might want to do that by yourself, you know, off in a room somewhere where you're alone, where no one can hear you, right? Because it's not too cool. It doesn't sound very great. But the more you practice, the more you practice, the better it sounds and the better you get. And practicing presenting yourself to the Lord, that life skill is, is kind of the same way. In the beginning, you may not have it all figured out. And it may not sound real good, and it may not feel the best. But the more you practice it, the more proficient you become at it, and the more habitual it, come, it becomes, right? So, knowledge, demonstration, practice, practice, practice. So, how do we go about presenting ourselves to God? How do we do that? In these two verses, Romans chapters 1 and 2, I see seven characteristics of presenting ourselves to the Lord and the importance of it. Seven characteristics. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Now, if I were going to invite you over to my home to have coffee and we were going to have a Bible study on how to present yourself to the Lord as a life skill, I would probably start in Romans chapter 1, okay? Because Paul is saying, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you. By the Holy Spirit, he's saying, present yourself to God. What? By the mercies of God. He says, I'm begging you, by the mercies of God, to present yourself. Okay? Now, we know what mercy is, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Okay? So, if I'm a sinner, and the penalty of sin is hell, and I accept Jesus as my Savior, God pours out mercy upon me, and I don't receive the punishment of hell, I receive grace, the reward of heaven, okay? So mercy is not giving me what I deserve, right? I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. I think the mercies he's referring to is everything he's taught in Romans 1 through 11. So it's helpful to understand the letter to the Romans when it comes to presenting, but we don't have time to go through all 11 of those chapters, right? But there are many mercies that Paul outlines in Romans 1 through 11. And we talked about some of that the last time we talked about this. So it's by those mercies, okay, first of all. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So the first characteristic of presenting that I see in these verses is that, the, that presenting, or presenting, biblical presenting, is complete. It's already prepared. You are already prepared biblically, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, to present yourself to the Lord because of His work. Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. You are you can present yourself a living sacrifice because you are holy, you are acceptable unto God because you are complete in Him, because of His work and His righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed unto you, and that characteristic is that you are complete. Your sacrifice of your body to Him is prepared, it's ready, it's complete. Second characteristic is the biblical presentation or presenting yourself is total. It's total. It's everything. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. My entire humanity is wrapped up in my body. When I present my body to the Lord, how much of me am I presenting? Is there any part of me I'm not presenting? 
No. He gets it all. When I present my body to him, he gets my spirit, he gets my soul, he gets my body, he gets my mind, he gets my personality, he gets my strength, he gets my heart, he gets it all. We present all of it to him. It's total. Which part of my humanity has Jesus not purchased? Okay, he's purchased it all. Now, he's not redeemed it all. We're waiting for that final redemption. But now, in this lifetime, we enjoy the fact that he has purchased me. He owns it all, and therefore, I can present all to him. Third characteristic, it is in faith. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, your reasonable service. Which is your reasonable service. It's your rational service. It's your logical service. Because all of these things are true about you, according to Romans 1 through 11, it is your reasonable, rational, logical service to present yourself to the Lord. Romans 4 says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to perform that which he promised, and his faith was imputed unto him for righteousness. When we are fully persuaded that God is able to perform that which he has promised in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed unto us, and we are redeemed. Being fully persuaded is our rationale, it is our logic, it is our reasonable service. So the act of presenting is an act of faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Christian faith is not blind. Christian faith isn't blind. It's reasonable. It's rational. We have reasons to believe what we believe. No one is, is, is asking you just to accept something blind and receive Jesus as your Savior. There's, there's reasonable, rational proof to receive Jesus Christ in God's holy word. It's not blind, it's reasonable. Christian faith is also not passive. It's not passive. Christian faith doesn't just happen to you. You exercised faith to receive Jesus Christ, and you will exercise faith to present yourself to Jesus Christ. It is an act of faith. And it's not passive. It just doesn't happen. Okay? Now, there are wonderful life changes when, when people get saved, particularly when they get saved when they're older. And someone, when he's older, he receives Christ and he receives the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden there's this wonderful transformation and there's this, this great change in this person's life because now he has the Holy Spirit and he can contrast his life of sin with his life of righteousness. And boy, it's a wonderful thing. And you can, you can watch that person and think, boy, he is really presenting himself to the Lord. But there is, I'm not discounting that, but there is a place where, where we actively exercise our faith and present ourselves to him, and that's the exhortation that we have here. Listen to Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Acts of faith please God. They are ways to love him. When we do things that please God, we are loving him. He delights in our love for him. But without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. So believing him, God just wants to be believed. Right? Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, that word cometh there, it means for he that would visit with God. I like that word. For he that cometh to God, for he that would visit with him. For he that would commune with God must what? Believe that he is. Huh. For he that cometh to God, first of all, must talk about making the obvious obvious. And that's really all I'm trying to do here today, is to make the obvious obvious. If you're going to come to God, if you're going to visit with God, you have to believe that he is. Is, is salvation just a nice idea to you? Well, you know, I grew up hearing about this salvation thing all my life, and it's, it's a great idea. It's a great concept. But brothers and sisters, it, it is so much more than that. Salvation is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ and if you're going to come to him, if you're going to visit with him, you must, if you're going to see his countenance and hear his voice and do his work, you must first believe that he is. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is. You say, well, have you ever seen God? No. But I see the glory of God. What do you mean you see the glory? I see the glory of God in your faces. You say, well, how's that? I've learned, I've learned to look for it. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit glorifies you, so if the Holy Spirit's glorifying you, it stands to reason that the glory of God will show in your countenance. I know that he is because I can see him in you. The Bible says that we can see his glory in creation. Just go for a walk. Pastor likes trees. I don't know why he likes trees, but he likes trees. I like mountains, oceans. I like the big stuff. <laughs> Flowers. Yeah. Wow, we could go on and on talking about the glory of God that we can see. He is. And second, what he wants you to believe, that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that makes me think of Genesis 15. You go to Genesis 15, and God says to Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. When you seek God diligently with all your heart, you know what he rewards you with? Himself. Godliness is profitable unto all things having promise for the life that now is and the life that is to come. And he rewards you with himself. He is and he is our reward. We've got to move on. Next characteristic of presenting yourself is it is an act of worship. Look at the phrase, which is your reasonable service. That word service there carries the idea of service in worship, ministering to. In Acts 13, we read about the, the apostles and the disciples. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. When's the last time you ministered to the Lord? Boy, we are always looking for the Lord to minister to us. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? God, come and minister to me. 
When's the last time you ministered to him? You ever just sit back and be quiet? And say, boy, God, I love you. Are you fully persuaded that he delights in the idea that you love him? Do you minister to him? They say, God's a big God. He doesn't need ministered to. Well, he doesn't need it in that sense. But I think he sure enjoys it. Look, he came to earth so that we could be one with him. Everything he did, he came so that we could be one with him. In a love relationship. Jesus Christ is the center of the universe. The son of righteousness is the center of humanity. All of humanity revolves around him and all humanity is accountable to him. And he came to earth and did what he did so that we could be one with him in a love relationship. Love, divine love, is the engine that drives Christianity. It is very human to be Christian. It is very Christian to be human. And love is the engine that drives it. Have you ministered to him? Are you busy loving him? Next, it's an attitude of separation. Oh, oh, separation. And be not conformed to this world. Oh, I'm acting that way because we don't like that word. We don't like the word separation. Separation has taken a beating over the last 20, 30 years. And nobody likes to talk about separation. And I think it's a shame. You know why? Because it's a gift of grace. And we've let those who have abused it and messed with it and turned it into something that it's not. And we've let them steal it from us. Separation is a wonderful, beautiful gift of grace. And presenting yourself to God. Being not conformed to this world has more to do with the idea of, of not so much not doing the things that the world does. It is that but it has more to do with not thinking the way the world thinks, okay? Be not conformed to this world has more to do with not thinking the way the world thinks. Separation is an attitude that declares, you, Lord, alone are worthy of my body. I present my body to you, and by separating myself from the world, I'm saying, you, Lord, alone are worthy of my body, not the world, not the way the world thinks. You see that? You alone are worthy of my body, the gift, a gift of grace, the gift of separation. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And 2 Corinthians 6 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Boy, I wish I could just spend all morning on that verse. It's 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Then again, it's a disposition, a characteristic of pre presentation, presenting yourself, your body to the Lord. It is a, dispens a disposition 
of transformation, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I have a whole couple of lessons on this phrase alone where we talk about the renewing of our minds. Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we present our bodies, it includes our minds. Presenting ourselves to God is characterized by intentionally moving from wrong thinking, the way the world thinks, to right thinking. You've heard of the power of positive thinking? The Bible teaches the power of right thinking. The power of right thinking. The power of positive thinking will let you down. The power of negative thinking will let you down. The power of biblical thinking will never let you down. Transformation. And then last, it is characterized as an act of service that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus said in John 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. The Father's work, not mine. Presenting yourself to God is characterized by the Father's work. Are you busy about the Father's work? So seven characteristics. It's complete. It's an act of faith, an act of worship. It's an act of separation, a transformation, and it's an act of service or work. So what does the practice of paristemi, the practice of presenting, look like? Well, who is our demonstrator? Our demonstrator is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What did Jesus do? Okay, the fact of the matter is, I can't tell you exactly what presenting yourself to the Lord, presenting your body to the Lord looks like. I can tell you how it meets out, how it plays out in my life, in my experience, but I don't have the market cornered on that, okay? So our best example is the Lord Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus came to demonstrate what humanity looks like. And over and over again, when you read through the Gospels, what you see, what do you see Jesus doing? He's often going up into the mountain to do what? Pray. He's often going out to a desert place to do what? Pray. He's often getting away by himself. Okay? Question. What do you think he expected to find on that mountain? You think Jesus believed that God the Father is? You think he expected to find God the Father on that mountain? I do. He didn't go up to the mountain just to use up his time, just to get away from the crowd, just to take a break. He expected to find God there. He went off into the desert place expecting to find God there. So when we present, we need to go to that place where we expect to find God, where we expect to see Him, where we expect to commune with Him. You might go to your prayer closet and rehearse all of those mercies of God that he has bestowed upon us in Romans 1 through 11. You might do that. You might just get in your, your prayer closet and just love the Lord and say, here I am, here's my body. Just give it to him. Right? If I'm going to if I'm going to present my body to someone, let's say I'm going to present my body to Nathan here, okay? If you're not in the room, can I present myself to you? No. If I'm going to come alongside Nathan, I've got to be in the same room with him, right? Okay? So here we go. I'm going to present my body to Nathan. Here I am. Okay? It's the same way with God. We're making the obvious obvious again, right? You've got to be in the same room with him. Amen. 
You've got to go to that place where you know you can find him, where you know that he is, and you present yourself to him. I was trying to think of a biblical example, and the best one I could think of, we've only got 10 minutes, so we're going to move really fast here. The best one I could think of was Revelation chapter 3. Turn there with me. Just as a matter of illustration. Revelation chapter 3. I like this verse a lot. I've meditated on it a lot. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... What's he say? I will come in. I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Now, that word sup is interesting. You know what it means? It means to sup. It means to dine. It means to have a meal. And in Jewish culture, I understand, I haven't researched this personally, but I understand that in Jewish culture, sharing a meal with someone is a very big deal. And when the host breaks bread, to share with his guests, that is symbolic of oneness. Interesting. So, when Jesus says, I will come in and sup with him, that makes me think of something. It makes me think of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It makes me think of a day when we will sup with him. Right? Oof. Boy, that could be today. That'd be all right. There will be a day when we will sup with him. But it also makes me think of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And this verse says that I will come in and I will sup with him. So in that sense, he's the host. What do you think he's serving? How about the wine? In John 6, he says, If any man drink my blood and eat of my flesh, he says, This is my blood which is shed for you. Do you know that according to Romans 5, it's by the blood that we're reconciled to God, and it's by his life that we're saved, that we're delivered, that we're redeemed. So he sups with us. That reminds me of the word communion. So when we open the door, Jesus comes in and he communes with us. He sups with us. He brings the bread and the wine. And we share in his blood. We share in his body. We share in the divine nature, Second Peter. Okay? And we sup with him. We sup with him. Well, what do we have to offer? What do we have to offer? Look at Mark 12. Turn with me to Mark 12. Again, just as a matter of illustration, practicing, presenting ourselves to the Lord. We've opened the door. The Lord is supping with us. Now we're going to sup with him. The great commandment, Mark 12, 28. Jesus is answering all kinds of questions. The scribe comes to him and he says, Okay, Lord, you're so smart. What's the, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And he says, verse 29, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now I find that interesting. 
So if we're supping with the Lord, he's offered us his blood, his body, he's communing, communing with us. What do we have to offer him? We're giving him our bodies. When I give him my body, am I giving him my heart? I can offer him my heart. Here's my heart. How about my soul? I see that mostly as my personality, my disposition, what the visible part of my spiritual being, right? How about my soul? How about my personality? Lord, here's my personality. How about my mind? When I give him my body, are you giving him your mind? What do you think about? I've talked to numbers of men who have said, I've dedicated myself to the Lord and dedicated myself to the Lord and dedicated myself to the Lord till my dedicator is worn out. And often I will say, well, when you dedicated yourself to the Lord, what was it you dedicated to him? Well, my life, you know, I gave him my life. And I said, well, have you ever presented your body to him? Huh? And when you presented your body to him, did you give him your mind? Did you give him your heart? Did you give him your soul? Oh, I, you mean he, he wants my mind? Yeah, he wants your mind. What do you think about? How about your strength? How about your position, your power, your influence? How about your physical strength? How about your strength? The countenance of the Lord is the strength of my countenance. Strength. Have you given him your strength? Now this, in my mind, this gets kind of exciting when you start practicing this because you start realizing some things. And I'll try to close with this. What is the heart? When you give him your heart, That's a tough one to answer. But the heart, it occurs to me that the heart is the thing that you love with and it's the thing that you hate with. When Jesus Christ comes in, when you open the door and he comes in and sups with you, do you know who's entering? The Gospel of John says, among many things, that he is the one who is light, he is the one who is love, he is the one who is life, and he is the one who is liberty. He is light, life, love, and liberty. That's who's entering. What emancipates your heart from hate? Divine love. You know what sets your heart free from hate? The love of Jesus Christ. Divine love, his love. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, ye are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The more you know about Jesus Christ and who he is, and the more you sup with him, and he with you, the freer you become because he emancipates you. He sets you free. His divine character sets your character free. Do you see that? When I give him my heart of hate, he fills my heart with his love. When I give him my personality, my disposition, he fills my personality with his life. I'm redeemed by his life. I become one with him in personality. He invades my personality and emancipates me. What about your mind? What do you think about? Who is light? What is darkness? What dispels the darkness? The light. When you give him your mind, he fills your mind with the light. This is the transforming power by the renewing of your mind. Right? How about your strength? 
You know that Jesus Christ is liberty? What are your physical hang-ups? What are your bad habits? You know, so often we don't, we hesitate to, to present ourselves to Christ because we have bad habits. We have sin. And we think we've got to go clean ourselves up and figure out how to live right before we can present ourselves to Christ. And I'm telling you, in the vernacular of my grandfather, that's a long road to hoe. Because you can't do it. But the one who is liberty can. It's what his resurrection is all about. He is liberty by virtue of his resurrection. So when I give him my strength, his liberty sets my strength free to do his work, to do what he asked for me to do. Well, we've got so much more, but our time is gone, so we're going to have to quit. There are reasons why we don't open the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. That verse was written to the church at Laodicea, to Christian people. What is your door made of? What did you erect your door from? Selfishness, self-centeredness, bitterness, hurt, hate, you name it. You know how you open the door? Just look in the verses prior to that verse. You open the door through confession and repentance. You confess, you agree with the Lord that, yep, this is what I erected, this, this is what I made this door out of. My bitterness, my hate, my unforgiveness. I confess, I agree that that's what that door is made out of. Unbelief. And I repent. I open the door. And the Bible says that he will come in and sup with you and you can sup with him and be transformed let's pray Father thank you for your word I do pray that uh, something said this morning was helpful to some we thank you for Jesus we thank you for that light life love and liberty that he willingly communicates to us so that we might be free We'll praise you now for the rest of today. We pray that you'd heal our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you very much.